the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Here's Hour 3. It's Backbone Radio. Matt Dunn, at your service. Yes, we run from 4 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time right here on Salem Denver News Talk 710 KNUS. We've been celebrating George Harrison's birthday a little bit. Just had a text to studio suggesting we should play... Some of George's Beatles songs like Here Comes the Sun, Something, I Need You, or Don't Bother Me. And uh, somehow we went with George solo songs tonight. We got one more down the road. It's going to be our sacred number. If you're good, you might guess which tune that will be. Usually we do the old-time country sacred songs, but tonight on George's birthday we thought we would do a sacred song from George Harrison. By the way, if you go on the, uh, you look on... Is it Spotify or Apple Music, whatever? You know, what's the most popular Beatles songs? What are the, in the top ten? You got George Harrison's. Last time I looked, I think he had the top two. Here comes the sun and something were the top two songs. You know, so George, man, might be where it's at. Uh, the top Beatles songs. Can you believe that? The most listened to to this day are George songs. I think he's got three or four that were just George songs in the top ten. At any rate. I thought I would do a philosophical essay on why are we so restless? Why are humans so restless? And what what does that mean for our pursuit of happiness in this country? And I think I'm going to edge that back a little further into this hour as we got going on democracy, democracy. And so sick of <clears throat> people like Paul Ryan or Zelensky or Biden or Trudeau talking about our democracy. Um when they have become absolute tyrants. The folks in Colorado trying to throw Trump off the ballot in our democracy. You know, listen to Secretary of State Jenna Griswold talking about our democracy, and they want Trump off the ballot. Of course, I sense that's going nowhere in the Supreme Court. They were handled rather roughly by the nine black-robed justices when they went to the Supreme Court, wasting everybody's time But these democracy, democracy people are using that language, of course, to bolster their establishment power, their ruling class power. And it's a propaganda term. The corruption of it is immense. This Mike Benz guy, who is a researcher of all things deep state and just had quite a beautiful, wonderful interview with Tucker Carlson the other night. It was fascinating you must watch that, that it'll fill in so many of the blanks about you're kind of wondering, why are we seeing all this crazy stuff our government is doing, going after the American people, targeting the American people, treating the American people like terrorists? And where do these democracy phrases come from when they're acting like fascists and tyrants and the rest of it? Um, that interview helps make sense of a lot of stuff. And I pulled in just one brief clip the Mike Benz interview with Tucker Carlson. And this is Mike Benz's take on democracy. What what do they mean by this term democracy? And it's important that we understand this. I think Mike Benz is too charitable with his assessment. But let's listen to it real quick, and then I'll 
offer my take on it as well. Mike Benz talking to Tucker. What they essentially said is we need to redefine democracy from being about the will of the voters to being about the sanctity of democratic institutions. And who are the, inst- the democratic institutions? Oh, it, it's us. You know, it's the military. It's NATO. It's the IMF and the World Bank. It's, 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 uh, it's the mainstream media. Uh, who, uh, it is the NGOs. And, oh, the, of course, these NGOs are largely State Department funded or IC funded. It's essentially all of the elite establishments uh, that were under threat from domestic, the rise of domestic populism that declared their own consensus to be the new definition of democracy. Because if you define democracy as being the strength of democratic institutions rather than a focus on the will of the voters, then what you're left with is essentially democracy is just the consensus-building architecture within the, con- within the democratic institutions themselves. And from their perspective, that takes a lot of work. I mean, I mean, the amount of work these people do, I mean, for example, we mentioned the Atlantic Council, which is one of these big coordinating mechanisms for the oil and gas industry in a region, for the, for the finance and the J.P. Morgans and, and the Black Rocks in a region, for the NGOs in the region, for the media in the region. All of these need to reach a consensus, and that process takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work and a lot of negotiation. From their perspective, that's democracy. Democracy is getting the NGOs to agree with BlackRock, to agree, to agree with, the, with the Wall Street Journal, you know, to, to you know, agree with uh, you know, the, the community and activist groups who are onboarded with respect to a particular initiative. That is the difficult vote-building process from their perspective. If, at the end of the day, a bunch of you know, populist groups decide that they like a, a truck driver who's popular on TikTok more than the you know, carefully constructed consensus of the NATO military brass, well, then, th- from their perspective, you know, that is now an attack on democracy. Um, all right. That was pretty good and pretty interesting and pretty darn helpful, but obviously way too darn charitable. And that the word he's not using directly enough there is power, elite power, power grab, which is what you might call tyranny. They use the word democracy, and he's talking about that means for them the sanctity of democratic institutions, what we are learning is they are not democratic institutions. Not at all. In terms of, yeah, NATO, mainstream media, NGOs, Atlantic Council, BlackRock, Wall Street Journal, and the rest of the institutions he talked about, they are not democratic. But that is how these usurpers who are in power right now have found a way to get into power and maintain power. However, they've done it. We can debate on that. But that is how they get their income. That is how they get their power. And that's why they're going to the mat against the will of the American people. And in the West, the European people, they are trying to consolidate their power. And they use that term democracy as a as a uh, as a term of propaganda to try to make it seem like they're not really the tyrants and they point to somebody else over there that that person is really the tyrant and yes remember putin has twice endorsed joe biden yeah putin really likes joe biden and putin approves of the way joe biden is treating his political opposition donald trump trying to throw him in jail <laughs> sicking the lawfare thugs on him the puppets Fonnie Willis, Letitia James, Judge Ingeron, the rest of it. That's how this all works, ladies and gentlemen. Do you understand the picture here? 
And, uh, oh, yeah, text coming in about, yeah, Norma Anderson and the, <laughs> the folks in Colorado. They use the word democracy all the time. But, you see, they're trying not to let you vote for who you would like to vote for. And they say they're doing it for democracy. No. They are doing it for their own power. They are doing it to maintain and increase their own power and punish their political opposition. Go after and attack their political opposition, just like Putin does in Russia. And this, see the sleight of hand that they are using. But it was interesting to me that Mike Benz frames it as that's how they see it, the sanctity of democratic institutions. But what happens if those institutions, those what were once labeled or once called or once perceived to be democratic institutions, what if they become tyrannical institutions? What if that is the moment we are in and those institutions start essentially de facto enslaving the masses? And you understand again why, yeah, what Mike Benson was saying, they, they might like some truck driver on TikTok and what that guy has to say more than what some credentialed deep stater or government bureaucrat has to say about NATO or other issues relating to trucking and free enterprise and farming and the rest of it. A lot of truckers apparently don't want to deliver to New York after they went after Donald Trump, yeah? And that's really catching But you see, that's, a, that's, that's democracy, right? If, you know, free speech, you want... You, but see, they don't want free speech. They have to control that speech. They have to control your social media. They can't let some trucker get more popular and more famous than they are because they want the power. They want the control. Make no mistake, yes, they do, and that is what this is all about. The bitter clingers, ladies and gentlemen, are the ones who are bitterly clinging to power under the guise of, quote, democracy. And again, Zelensky has canceled three elections in a row in Ukraine. They, they praise his democracy all the time, but, but what kind of democracy is that? You criticize Zelensky, you go to jail. How does that work? Be right back. On down to San Antonio. Hello, I'm John Akash. You got to bring some Johnny in from time to time around here. Hope you dig some Johnny Cash, saddle pals. Kind of keeping with the uh, prison theme here, yeah. We live in the gulag around here. By the way, somebody calling in asking for the name of that Ukrainian woman that I was quoting from in the last hour. And she has an X or Twitter account, and it's at M-A-R-I-A-M-A-T-E-I-C-I-U-C. And that's been read by millions of people. Maria Matysiuk. Again, can't pronounce it, but M-A-R-I-A-M-A-T-E-I-C-I-U-C for a pretty desperate missive about what's really going on in Ukraine. The, quote, democracy, where they've canceled three elections in a row. Um, that we are sending billions of dollars to defend the borders of Ukraine when our own borders are wide the hell open, ladies and gentlemen. It's just sick, the America last people we have running the show. Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Nikki Haley's out there. Oh, they talk about democracy, democracy, democracy. And we know how to see through that. Uh, we've been working on that from the start. What a trick. What a trick word that is. And 
Okay. Oh, we just lost the phone lines there. So um, feel free to check in if you are so so disposed to do so. Thank you, by the way, for, gosh, so many text messages rolling in, and I'm trying to respond as quickly as I can. But regarding the ruling class thing, by the way, the power equation, the power, um, that is one thing I think that if you read the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche, German philosopher Nietzsche, who is... uh, Definitely a brilliant guy, but I disagree with his conclusions wholeheartedly. But I think Nietzsche, we could go into a long hours discussion or few hours about the philosophy of Nietzsche. He's the guy who said God is dead, but he didn't say it like he he wanted that. But his sense was in Western culture, people don't believe in God anymore. And it's he's, he's like lamenting that, how that's going to change civilization to have God be dead in his view. Now, I do not think he was right on that, but um, that's how people tend to characterize Nietzsche. But Nietzsche coined the phrase will to power, will to power, and his analysis of power and the power impulses in human beings is fascinating. And once I think you can, you can be helped by reading Nietzsche to understand power and I think I, I've studied enough, you know, in college and elsewhere to really be able to laser in on the power equation in the beltway and the power equation in political figures. And it helps me see through propaganda. And they use a term like democracy as a disguise for their blatant will to power, which has become tyranny in this country. And again, the American people are more endangered by our own tyrannical ruling class than they are by magnitudes from from any other ruling class, that whatever's going on in the borders of other countries around the world. And a lot of people are figuring this out. And the American people are being targeted, obviously brainwashed, propagandized by, by their ruling classes. And that's why we need a new ruling class. And I've always said this, and it's funny to hear Tucker Carlson come out and say this, is that every culture, every, every political entity, every country has a ruling class. I mean, you're going to have one, but what we need is a new one, the current crop of morons and freaks that run this country and run our own ruling class. And you can apply that, I think, to the West as well, the World Economic Forum people, the Trudeaus of the world, or, you know, the, the, the leaders of Canada, France, Ireland, go down the list, Netherlands. Those are, uh, those are bad news people. And um, we need a new ruling class, and it needs to be MAGA people like Javier Malay. Malay and Trump just met. I played the audio in the last hour. Um, Make Argentina great again. Make America great again. But, see, we need a new ruling class. There's going to be a ruling class, but it's time for MAGA to be the new ruling class. Does that make sense? And that's something that uh, Tucker Carlson is saying here. And uh, let, let me bring that clip up. And, again, this is... Yes, echoing what we've been saying around here as students of the ruling classes. Look at Professor Angelo's, Angelo Cotavilla's book on the ruling, ruling class. I studied under him a bit uh, with the Claremont Institute, a brilliant, brilliant guy. Lost him a couple of years ago. I've interviewed him on Backbone Radio a handful of times, multiple times actually over the years. Um, here is Tucker talking about this and talking with uh, Glenn Beck, of all people, You've never really been working class. You've always been that upper class in the in all of the places that make people into the the leaders of tomorrow that are that don't care about the people. 
How how is it that you have held on to something I don't think you ever really had, and that is that that average everyday citizen that is going out punching a time clock and coming in and just trying to make ends meet? Where did that come from with you? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have that perspective. I never have. I mean, I've never, you know, I mean, no, I'm not from that background at all. I'm from the opposite background for sure every day of my life. Um, and so I would never pretend to be the voice of the working class. It's no, I know, absolutely but the opposite. I, I, right. I don't think that. No, you... no. My, my motive comes from not. And I actually now live in a in a working class area and I love the people there, but right. I'm not. That's not my world. I'm motivated by my loathing of the people in charge. The one thing I know a lot about are the people who populate the ruling class because I spent my whole life with them. I'm not against ruling classes. Every society has one. Someone's got to be in charge. There's always an elect that runs everything. They're always Brahmins, okay, always, and there always will be. So I'm not against it. I'm not a populist in that sense. I'm just against incompetent, selfish, nasty, stupid people being in charge, and that's exactly who we have. And I'm so mad about it because I know exactly who they are. And so when you're telling me that Anthony Blinken is a statesman, I'm like, no, he's not. He's like a low IQ political hack who's acting for like personal reasons, have nothing to do with the welfare of the United States in his Ukraine policy. And I know that and I know them all. And I know I live next to them my whole life, 35 years in D.C. So it's like I'm not fooled by that. Oh, well, it's, I, you know, we're I went to Harvard and, you know, and then right. HBS and I'm at the you know, I spoke at Aspen this summer. It's like I know how mediocre that is because I've been around it my whole life. So I'm just not impressed. I don't want anything from them at all. I'm not rich. I have enough. So it's like I, I'm just in right. this weird position where I know exactly who they are. I don't want their stupid little merit badges. I couldn't have more contempt for them. And I'm old enough now that, like, why not just say it? Right. And I am. And I just don't I just don't care. I'm going to keep saying it. That's what makes you so, dang- true. so yeah. dangerous. And uh, that is a whole host of statements that I can agree with and empathize with fully. And yes, uh, I too, your host, I've gone to the very fancy private colleges and universities. Yes, I have with all the elite high IQ people. And so, you know, it's hard to get impressed with a lot. And I, I know a lot of these political class people and, you know, going back a long time and they do not impress me. And Tucker Carlson, there's they he he. he loathes our current ruling class. He calls them incompetent, nasty, selfish, stupid, low IQ political hacks that are always essentially putting America last. Exactly. And you might as well just come out and say it and might as well talk about it. We have the most benighted, the most self-absorbed, and I like to call them freaks and morons, who are running this country into the ground. They're screwing up the foreign policy, the Ukraine catastrophe. My gosh. The foreign policy these people have been running for decades is a disaster with one interlude when Trump was in office. That was a good foreign policy. We had peace and things were really working out well. Peace in the Middle East. Israel protected. Putin did not go after Ukraine. You see, these people are highly overrated, shall we say, in the ruling class. It's time for a new one. There's always going to be one. Let's have a new one. It's time for MAGA to be the new ruling class. It's time for us saddle pals. To be the new ruling class. Yeah, we're up for it. We'll do a lot better job. Be right back. This is one of those moments where, saddle pals, we should reach out and hold hands with one another. 
Let us embrace one another for the sufferings of life. Weezer can bring it home like no other band. Wouldn't you agree, Blake? I agree. When Weezer hits those high notes, you can just feel the suffering <laughs> in this cover song. Yeah, they bring the guitars out. Unbreak my heart. I don't remember who did that song originally, but um, this is a good cover version. And yes, we have to mock the state and mock the ruling class and laugh at them like Trump mocking Joe Biden getting off the stage not knowing which way to go <laughs> and it's, you know humor it's you know you could laugh at these people like Klaus Schwab that bald doctor evil dude who runs the World Economic Forum is the perfect cartoon Nazi villain who wants you to eat bugs and says you will own nothing and you will be happy we got to make fun of these freaks and morons that are on top and all of their self-absorption and what Tucker Carlson said, incompetent, nasty, selfish, stupid, low IQ, political hacks. We're just going to have a good time mocking these people. By the way, CBS News fired Catherine Herridge, who was formerly at Fox News, their national security reporter. She had done some pretty heavy-duty investigating into the Hunter Biden laptop and a bunch of other Spygate-type matters. And I always felt like Herridge always came up short and always held back and always compromised her integrity to maintain her mainstream media high-profile position. Anyway, Herridge got fired by CBS News, and CBS confiscated her notes and her files and her laptop and now they're saying, well, we gave it back. But who is the tyrant, ladies and who is the tyrant in this democracy of ours? This is a reporter. We have free speech, right? Reporters get to ask questions and look into Hunter Biden. But no, they confiscated her stuff. The deep state media. Headline from the UK Daily Mail yesterday by Alice Wright. CBS says it has returned notes belonging to journalist who was fired for investigating Hunter Biden and denies trying to stop her reporting as Ted Cruz insists she was punished for going after the truth. And they just say CBS says that they've returned the notes it seized from Catherine Herridge after they fired her. Um, and apparently the CBS workers union called S-A-G-A-F-T-R-A called the seizure of her notes completely inappropriate and very unusual. Yeah, just another deep state thing, just another American gulag thing. Again, you got to be able to see through this stuff. You got to be able to understand this stuff. You got to snap out of the matrix. Just texting somebody uh online during the break about the matrix. You want to live in the matrix they have set up for you. Well, we've broken out of that long ago. We'd rather live in cold, hard reality and lead our best lives there rather than, you know, be chumps in the matrix, just, uh, you know, taking whatever they spoon feed you, owning nothing, <laughs> trying to be happy. At any rate, why are we so restless? Why are we so restless? I might have time to get to that, but let's say hello to Dave in Centennial. Welcome, Dave. Glad you're here. Hey, Doc. Great show. Uh, I was curious to see if they published 
how many non-Republicans voted for Haley in South Carolina yet? I have not seen hard data on that. Uh, Rahim Kassam over at National Pulse had an essay on that, and I did not read the details. I don't know if he's, he's got it tabulated. But the soundbite is going to be, well, Nikki Haley got around 40% of the vote, so that means 40% of Republicans don't want Trump. Not even close. That is, that's another propaganda talking point, and that obviously Nikki Haley invested in getting Democrats to vote for her in the open primary in South Carolina, just like the stunt they pulled in New Hampshire trying to get the Democrats to vote for her. It's, all, it's just an op, right? But I don't know what percentage well, it actually is. They said the turnout for the Democrat primary was so low, they anticipated there was going to be a tremendous amount of people crossing over to vote in the Republican. In the New Hampshire primary, Matt, 70% of the votes she got was from non-Republicans. Right. Non-Republicans are voting for Nikki Haley, and that's paid for by non-Republican big rhino globalist donors. Okay, so anytime we mention the word Nikki Haley, we're giving a little bang to the buck for these donors who hate you and hate me and hate this country and hate putting America first. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to minimize how much we even talk about Nikki Haley, but it is important to understand this, right? Well, Governor Newsom over the weekend was talking about Nikki Haley. He was very complimentary of her. He said she's the best advocate the Democrats have. Exactly. And we did mention that in hour one, that she's one of our best surrogates, says Gavin Newsom in California. So it's a Democrat thing, and uh, it's an op. Mike Morrell, the CIA guy who organized the Hunter Biden laptop as a Russian disinfo thing, he's donated to Nikki Haley, you see? Well, that's that's, uh, that's, how, that's what this that's is about. How, that's how Blinken, you know, in the, uh, uh, what was the Mel Brooks movie, Men in Tights? The, uh, Robin <laughs> I never movie. saw that. One of the guys in that movie, one of Robin's, is Blinken. One of his, one of the guys' names as his, uh, his cohorts, in the uh, Robin Hood was Blinken. So he got his job from going around getting all of the 50 different uh, Secret Service service or uh, security specialists signed on the dotted line as the uh, Hunter Biden laptop was a yeah. Russian misinformation. Right. He did that. He was trying to get the job that he got now from somebody else to make sure and Biden gave him that job solely based on his gophering all those signatures. Well, you see the workings of how these people operate, right? And uh, it has nothing to do with democracy. It has everything to do with their own power, with ruling class, with elite power. That's what it all boils down to. And uh, to think otherwise is to live in the matrix they spoon-feed you, the blizzard of propaganda they serve up constantly. And, uh, you know, we're not interested in pretending around here. We just as soon get to the point. Hopefully there's going to be a few little places that get to do that into the future. We'll see how long, right? (laughs) But 
Take care, man. Right Thanks on, so. Dave. Bye-bye. Great points. And seeing exactly the op that is Nikki Haley. Oh, yeah. That is an op. And, yeah, you know, this restlessness thing, I could do an hour on it. But uh, I was reading some philosophy about, hey, what? By the way, somebody texts in, Tony Braxton originally did Unbreak My Heart. Tony Braxton. Yeah, that's a that's a blast from the past. Th- hey, thanks for all the text the studio saying great show and all the rest of it. But, uh, and I, I can't do it justice, but you, you know how people are always a little restless and they're always sitting around feeling restless? Some, some people argue that we are more restless now than ever before in so many ways. And there's been a lot of thinkers, uh, recent thinkers, and some people that I've read a lot, like Montaigne, the essayist, Pascal, Rousseau, um, some French thinkers who, who talk a lot about, hey, why, why are humans restless and what, what can we do about this restlessness? I mean, how, how do we, you know, you try to go to bed at night, but why are you still restless? You get up in the morning, you, you know, you're, you're, you're restless about this or that and the other. And that restlessness is somewhat determined by what, what is our approach to happiness, you know, the pursuit of happiness, Thomas Jefferson, and, you know, which came out of Locke. Um, what is our method of pursuing happiness? What, what, what does bring happiness? And I know Dennis Prager goes off on this a lot. <laughs> but um, I, might, uh, I might just go through a few of, these, a few of these, these thoughts about, you know, there's a lot of suffering in life. And, and Christianity will say that first. Hey, life's going to be suffering. The Buddhists, they, they say that, you know, suffering is, is the, the cardinal component of life. They call it dukkha. D-U-K-H-K-A, dukkha, Sanskrit word, which means like the the wheel on the wagon is always just a little bit off. The axle's a little bit off and the wheel doesn't quite spin right. And that life always has that sort of off-centeredness. There's there's always something not right about about life and the, the, the suffering is a component of that. You see that in the great faith traditions and, you know, being a Christian, I look at it from, from that viewpoint but so what, what do we do with this restlessness, ladies and gentlemen? What did Montaigne, Pascal, Rousseau, Epicurus, Epictetus, what did they say about all that? Be right back. Here is our sacred number this Sunday on Backbone Radio. It's George Harrison, his birthday, born Feb- uh, February 25th, 1943. And I know we like to play the country, the old sacred songs, but I guess this song is getting older now. There we go. My Sweet Lord by George George Harrison. And one of these thinkers I was mentioning, Pascal, Blaise Pascal, a Christian thinker from Francais, you know, he says that People feel a lack of wholeness. They suffer from a lack of a feeling of wholeness, and they need a connection with God. They need to be seeking God to feel those glimpses of wholeness. And without that, you're always going to be facing envy and jealousy and unhappiness and the rest of it. Montaigne, and Pascal was responding to Montaigne, who was saying that, well, no, the way to be happy is to be out and be sociable and have friends and be liked and occupy yourself with diversions and write stuff down and maybe accumulate some money and fractions of power for yourself. Um, Rousseau then rebelled against Pascal and said, no, Pascal's saying 
you want happiness in some other world, you know, the next world, but Rousseau says, no, we must create heaven on earth. And I think Rousseau was actually the thinker who influenced Karl Marx more than anybody else. And that the Marxist communist idea is, let's hey, let's have heaven on, heaven on earth, because the human nature is perfectible, you know. De Tocqueville, Democracy in America, he would say, you know, hey, gosh, why, why are the Americans, you know, they're so prosperous, but why are they so, like, discontent? Why are they so restless all the time? And he theorized that prosperity itself breeds a kind of discontent. Whenever you get too prosperous, you will be more discontent. He almost says it's like better to be in a gulag. It's better to be in prison. Better to not be prosperous because then you might in some strange way be more content. Well, he didn't quite mean that, but you know what I'm saying. Which gets into the billionaire psychology. I always say that these billionaires that we're dealing with, the Godzilla billionaires who are with the exception of Trump and Musk, uh, destroying Western civilization. The Soroses and the rest of them around the world are bad news. But they are every bit as restless as people who have nothing, these billionaires. And unfortunately, their next billion comes from outside of America, which is why they want to have the globalist sort of lineup in the world. But I think a lot of this restlessness business is people always want a little bit more power. They want a little bit more power. And the billionaire wants more power even though they have billions. Why don't they just hang it up and go surf and like do stuff? They don't. They, they want to be heard. They want to be felt. They want to use those billions. They want to flex. They want power. Does that make sense? They still suffer. We all suffer. You can have as much or as little. You can be in a gulag, out of a gulag. Suffering is still there. Dukkha. The wheel is off. The axle is off on the cart. But on some level, I would say this, you know, some people look at restlessness as like a bad thing. Maybe it's not that bad of a thing. You want to have a little restlessness, kind of a motivating. Hey, I'm going to go work on that. Hey, I'm going to go fix that. I'm going to go pay attention to this. Epicurus. See, I've been reading a lot lately, but Epicurus says, oh, the way to get rid of this is just to seek pleasure all the time. Jefferson was a big lover of Epicurus and the pleasure-seeking life. Um, but there might be limits to that. You can imagine that. Epictetus, Aurelius. But Epictetus, here's a quote. The way to get rid of your restlessness, quote, do not seek to have everything that happens happen as you wish, but wish for everything to happen as it actually does happen, and your life will be serene, which you would call amor fati, love of fate, whatever happens, just sort of accept it and go with it. Nietzsche came up with that. Nietzsche thought he was original by saying that, but no, he was just pirating Epictetus or Epictetus. That's from his Incheridian. Um, that's the eighth verse in his Incheridian of Epictetus. These are important people to read. And I, I'm not doing justice to any of this. I could have done an hour on this. But I would just say, if I were to offer, offer answers on your pursuit of happiness, you know, um, yeah, you, you want to accumulate uh, some power. You want to flex some muscles. You want to get some skills developed and use them. You know, like you're a basketball player. Go out and play basketball. You know, if you're, if you're a dentist like me. With my brand new office, um, you want to go practice a skill that you've been working on, and you get joy out of that. Does that make sense? Yes, three zero three two two five seven five seven five. It just popped into my head. I need to mention that once in a while. Anyway, you need to connect with nature. Go out and experience nature. Work with your hands, by the way. Get some physical exercise. You have a body. You got to work it, or else you're going to be restless. If you're not working that body, restless. I recommend prayer. And I recommend some sitting, contemplative prayer, even the Zen-influenced sitting 
in good po- that helps the restlessness. You can learn to still your mind. You can learn to see through, sort of the pierce the veil of the reality around you. Seeking God is Pascal. I think you got to be seeking. You got to be seeking. It also helps to get rid of your restlessness if you can free yourself from propaganda, if you can see through the screens and the moron freak people who are putting the stuff on the screens that they want before you. Yeah. You got to have some degree of sociability, some degree of friendship, connections to family and tradition and cultural tradition. Here's another quote from Roger Scruton, conservative philosopher who died a few years ago. Quote, we do not merely study the past. We inherit it. And inheritance brings with it not only the rights of ownership, but the duties of trusteeship. Things fought for and died for should not be idly squandered, for they are the property of others who are not yet born. Sir Roger Scruton, S-C-R-U-T-O-N. You want to have some anchorage to your, to your heritage, to your community, to the, to the history of your nation, of your country, of your civilization, and that is what these chumps in the ruling class want to erase from you. They want to knock that out of you, these nasty freak job people, yes? So, um, and I would say this, it's hard to be systematic about what brings happiness. You can mix a bunch of that stuff together, but sometimes some days different things work, and sometimes the, what worked yesterday doesn't work today. And you do have to have maybe a little pragmatic whatever works kind of approach from day to day, I think. You know, don't hold me to that. But sometimes things, different things work. And if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking to, you know, dig out of this or that and the other thing, or if you're trying to ease some restlessness, you know, I'm just throwing out some ideas. And I'm sorry, I wanted an hour on that. But, uh, you know, sometimes one thing leads to another, as Robert Frost said, way leads on to way. And you don't get back to where that that road diverged in a wood. (laughs) Anyway, we're short on time. If we can... We, if we can speak somewhat briefly, Jenny in Fort Collins, I don't know if you can summarize quickly because I've been bad time manager today, but Jenny, glad you're here. Yeah, you're so verbose, uh, Matt. Sorry anyway, about that. <laughs> <laughs> we have SB 24-0126, and it's being sponsored by uh, two Democrats and six Republicans. In Colorado? So you, in Colorado, yeah, the, the Doma Dummies. So anyways, uh, people know about conservation easements, which is conservation servitudes. So we have these rhinos, and I will I will give them the ignorance flag for right now. But what is happening, uh, this is what has happened to Germany and the Netherlands, that um, they're going down the road of this ESG and... Um, right. And, yeah. and, and so it's, anyway, it's where they want to basically get the get rid of private property and lock up the land for themselves. That, yes, exactly. 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 Now, Jenny, I, I would keep like, going if I could, Jenny in Fort Collins. But we got to get to this some other show when we can. But I'm watching that closely. That farmer issue, you got to keep eyes peeled on that one. That's a big deal, Jenny. Well, we thanks have, for mentioning that. It's two four zero one two six three five three zero. And I'd keep going if I could, Jenny. You're amazing. Thank you. Sorry, well, I'm so verbose. Well, and uh, Mark, Mark in Broomfield, can you do a 10-second, 20-second job here? Uh, no, I can't. Okay. How about a five-second then, or a three-second? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Mark. We're going to have to keep it, but you're going to talk about Ukraine and the money laundering over there. And uh, I can just say, I can intuit through the phone wires, you are spot on, Sir Mark. And uh, anyway, Saddle Pals. 
Let's see you next Sunday. We'll hang out again and we'll pursue happiness. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 